Hey folks, just a real quick couple things before we get started with this week's episode. First of all, uh, I want to apologize for missing the episode last week. We had this episode recorded, but life gets in the way, so we hope you enjoy it now. Second, I just want to say the audio quality does take a little bit of a hit on this one for some reason. We recorded in a different area, and we had some clicking going on, as you'll hear some rattling, and I apologize, we will make sure that does not happen in a future episode. Speaking of future episodes, we've got a movie review coming up here pretty quick in the next couple of weeks, followed by more Pokemon Generation reviews, and eventually Trigun, once Bill, Josh, and I can sit down and get those recorded. So keep it tuned to Tuning Japanese, and we hope you enjoy. Prepare for trouble. Make it double. To protect the world from devastation. To unite all peoples within our nation. To denounce the evils of truth and love. To extend our reach to the stars above. Jesse. James. Team Rocket, blast off at the speed of light. Surrender now or prepare to fight. Yeah, that's right. Ah, hey, welcome to Tuning Japanese, a podcast where... Well, we're back down to two dudes uh, in their 30s. Talk yeah. to you about anime. Uh, so I am James. I'm Jesse. And, uh, well, actually, my name's Andy. And I'm Ray. And we're here to talk about Pokemon Generations again. Oh, my gosh. Actually, I'm a blue Ray. <laughs> I get your joke. And you are I'm Red a, Andy. I am Red Andy. Uh, so we are ready to talk about episodes two and three of Pokemon Generations. If you are just tuning in, you missed out on the first episode. A few weeks back, we released episode one of this bonus season for Tuning Japanese, where we're reviewing every episode of Pokemon Generations. Why did you emphasize bonus? Because we put the bone in bonus. <laughs> we, we definitely do. Uh, hey, I have some nerd news. Are you familiar with nerd news? Nope. <laughs> you never listened to our product I mean, ever? Yes. Oh, good lord. You're lucky you feed me. Uh, Nerd News (laughs) is a segment of Tuning Japanese where we talk about things in the world of nerdiness, sometimes anime-related, sometimes not. And I have two really sad stories related to anime today. I don't know why he's happy about me feeding him dog food. Uh, Well, you know, you you put a little bit of cumin in there, it it tastes great. Wait a minute, you're feeding me dog food? (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, I mean, no. (laughs) uh, So, we had a couple... Did you know that... Cumin is spelled come in. Uh, yeah, did you know that? Did you know there's a cat that jumped up on the table here? No. Nope. He's going to make all kinds of noise and he's purr. He's the white walrus. He is a, he's literally probably bigger than Snorlax. Uh, so, we have some, we have a little bit of anime related news, but it's sad news. We actually had two people in the world of anime pass away this week. Uh, we had one, Susan, uh, Aceron, or Acheron, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I'm pretty sure she's rolling over in her, in her grave right now because you just said Aceron. Well, A C E R O N. She passed away. Actually, she was the best known for her roles in Sailor Moon. She voiced Sailor Pluto 
And uh, she also was the Xenian flower from the Sailor Moon R movie, which you would know about if you didn't fall asleep 20 minutes into it when we tried to watch it that one time. I know what the Xenian flower is. Isn't that thing that... Like, takes over people's bodies and stuff. Yes, and, yes. The weird, like, gay alien yeah, who's all up in Mamoru yeah. shit. Yeah, well, that's... she I voiced that. She voiced the flower as well as Sailor Pluto. She had a few other roles as well, uh, but those are her most famous. She actually died. You can tell me exactly what this, what this means. Uh, she has been suffering for quite a while from nasopharyngeal cancer. Is that of the nose and the throat? Yes. Um, so it's kind of in your back sinus area, uh, in between your nasal cavity and the back of your throat oh okay well so we have a we have our very own expert when it comes to this stuff here right now i'm not really an expert i just do billing billing and coding in a cancer center yeah yeah so cancer you know all about cancer you know how to cure cancer from what i've heard right don't oh well but I wish I did. That would be great. Why, why, why don't you get on that? Why don't you be rich? That's your, that's your reason you'll be rich. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. <laughs> what do you think all the drug companies do it for? That, that's true. Uh, so she was 44 years old, has been suffering from that for quite a while. And that's this is sad. Sad day. Sad day. Uh, I think we have two cats up here because they're trying to audition for <laughs> Meowth. I, they're either trying to audition for Meowth or the next episode of Shadow Vanos. I'm not sure what's going on, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to um, move them off the table because they're actually, actually... We could probably pick up their breathing, and it's really weird. <laughs> we, yeah. we not only lost uh, Susan to uh, this form of cancer, but we also lost someone who has been working in the anime business as a colorist for over 30 years, and that would be Michio Yasuda, who has been working with Studio Ghibli even before Studio Ghibli was Studio Ghibli, and worked on a lot of different projects, things like Spirited Away, things like Princess Mononoke. She passed away at the age of 77. Did she also have nasopharyngeal cancer? No, she did not. I, I, I don't know how she died. I assume because... Age. Age, yeah. Or some sort of sickness, perhaps. Or... Or... Maybe she colored too much at <laughs> Studio Ghibli. They worked her to death? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Is this, like Doesn't a, it happen? Is this a conspiracy theory? Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just trying to get to something funny. Well, those are my bits of nerd news. Uh, do you have any nerd news for us this week? Anything in the in the world wide world of nerdiness that you'd like to share with uh, with the world? Yes, I do. You do? Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Volcanion. What about Volcanion? The Volcanion codes just came out. Uh, go to GameStop. You can pick one up. I picked mine up just the other day. So so for those that are, I know they're listening to a Pokemon review here, but if they don't know anything about Volcanion, what's the deal with Volcanion? The backstory on Volcanion is uh, it was one of the Pokemon that were discovered via people digging into the code of the game uh, along with Hoopa. Oh, yes. Those two existed within the original codes of the games and either through hacking or people found out that they existed through there. Huh. And now they have um, released those as codes for the legendary Pokemon, which is weird. He's a water or he or she is a water fire type. Which is a combination that I can't remember ever being in the game. I can't think of I can't either. I can't think of a single one, which is it's very it's a very interesting combination. I think he comes with an ability too that when you attack him with water abilities he heals. Which is pretty cool. I can't remember. I do know he comes with an assault vest. So that's as far as I got was downloading and looking at what he was holding. I don't even know what the assault vest does actually. Yeah, I'm not sure what that does either. I know that I've played I've played as him in a couple of battles, but that's about it. The Volcanion codes are 
in response to the release of uh, Volcanion's Pokemon movie. It's one of the newest legendaries, so go out and get one. There you go. Go check that out and check out that movie. So we've got two different episodes to talk about today. Pokemon Generations Episode 2 is where we're going to start. And actually what's really cool about these two episodes is that they're interconnected a little bit. And the simple fact that you have... These are the last two episodes we're going to get, or the only two episodes we're going to get from the first generation Pokemon games. Uh, so we're going to talk about two episodes of Pokemon Generations today. We spent a lot of time last time really digging into the different scenes. This, These next two episodes are going to be a little more cohesive, I guess, maybe. Maybe is a good word for it. You know, the last one wasn't so cohesive. It was just a lot of little little vignettes of Pikachu battling and this one actually tells a couple of, of different stories here, and really important stories from the first Pokemon games. One that we're going to talk about in just a minute, about Giovanni and Team Rocket, and then another about the Elite Four. So, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, we'll start with Episode 2, The Chase. Uh, so, we get our first real story here centered around Pokemon Blue and Red, not counting that first one, we just got kind of got a clip of it. Uh, the plot involves the mystery of Giovanni, the head of Team Rocket. You know, we've talked about how we've we've played most, if not all, of these games by now. What did you make of Giovanni as kind of the main villain of the of the game, or Team Rocket in general? What were your thoughts, or what do you remember about Team Rocket or, or facing Team Rocket? The most that I remember from Team Rocket, I'm always going to go to the anime. Oh episodes. yeah, mm-hmm. um, as you know, Jesse and James, and oh, yeah. getting into their um, shenanigans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the episode with with uh, Giovanni, it it was kind of elusive at first, and then they finally did a, his little cameo there, mm-hmm. and uh, you find out a little story in there. We can go through that later. Actually, I th- I believe the episode starts off with uh, Detective Looker, the international police. Ah, yes, we do. We have uh, we have Looker uh, who comes in from Pokemon X and Y, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So what's what I think is really kind of cool is that unlike. What I thought they would do, which would be to kind of keep each region and everything kind of separate, you've got this running thread of interconnectivity between the different games. So, like, here you have something from Pokemon Blue and Red, but then also connected to the latest, or like, the the last actual original game from the series before Sun and Moon, X and Y. So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool, like, way to connect the games. What do you think? I thought it was, too. It's kind of like... It puts it into perspective, you know, these international police would be looking for Giovanni, and it just kind of plays into really good of the episode, and it gives you, like you said, more cohesion, and you have, you're not taken all over the place like we discussed in our first episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it grounds it, but also gives it a sense of Pokemon is a living and breathing world with lots of different locations and a a lot to really kind of give story-wise to its fans, so just seeing that drawing together of those two games, I thought that was a pretty cool opening. And also, like, we tend to think about it as uh, this game happened, this game happened, this game happened, so it is good that they're just bringing this whole world together mm-hmm. and just showing you, hey, you know, it might not be all different time, uh, like a chronological timeline. This could all be happening all at once. It could be. I mean, because you... one large story. Yeah, you've got different main characters as the game goes on. Red and blue does is not the... You know, red or blue, whichever you want to call them, is not the protagonist of every story. It's not like the anime where Ash is going around every single place. It's... It, it, they're different people, and these stories could definitely take place at the same time. 
Uh, so they are looking for Giovanni, trying to track him down. Uh, we get a kind of a little bit of background on some important Team Rocket plots from the first video game, uh, including the game corner at Celadon City, which, if you remember playing through that, it was a front for a Team Rocket operation. Is that in Can- the Kanto region? Yeah, that's the very first region, okay. Kanto region. This is all from Pokemon Blue and Red. And uh, this is the the town where Celadon City is the town where they had, you know, like the big department store. It was like the big central hub for a lot of what was going on. And that was what the, the game corner, which was actually based on uh, something I, I saw just not that long ago, actual Japanese gambling where they'd have two separate like buildings, one where you could actually gamble because gambling itself for money and, and stuff was was kind of illegal. illegal or yeah. you know but they would have separate houses that you could go to and just happen to take these tokens and get winnings from uh so they get around the laws that way and actually show that in the video game and what's kind of interesting here is i kind of feel guilty now uh the way they portray and they show the scenes of celadon city and the fact that like they had had to confiscate so many pokemon like i feel guilty now for playing those those games at the game corner in the original game so much just so I can get my Dratini and my Ditto. Uh, I thought you were going to say you're guilty because you blew all your life savings playing game corner and lost a bunch of... That's probably true. I was very bad at that particular... Yeah. What is it? Yen? I think it's just Yen, isn't it? Isn't (laughs) it just Yen? I think it's a Yen symbol. Um, But yeah, it's not gold. No. It's not like Final Fantasy or Gil. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just Yen. Um so I kind of felt bad, you know, they're they're trying to take these poor Pokemon out of there, and I'm just like, yeah, let it ride, let me get more for my Porygon. I do uh, remember that we uh, had watched that video together uh, yes. with the Game Corner. And, yes, and, and they the, talked like, about logistics that. Logistics between it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Kind of kind of neat. Something on YouTube that we found was like 101 Pokemon facts that you may not know or some bullshit like that. Going back to Detective Looker and his team of international police, mm-hmm. um, it was really cool to see them go to the Verdian Gym. Uh, yes. That's, that's their next stop after they finish the Game Corner. Yeah, well, they, they you, you forget they did talk about the Sylph Company briefly as well, which is the company that they overtook, which I think in the game was where you had to like walk on those really annoying tiles that like spun you in circles and sent you down like either right, left, up, or down. Um, but yeah, it, it talks about that and then sends to, like you said, the Viridian Gym. They find out that that is where Giovanni might be hiding out. Uh, there was a scene before this that I didn't want to mention. There's a, a brief interrogation scene with Team Rocket members, they talk about how they're trying to get information from the, from Team Rocket and the people that they arrested. That was crazy as hell. It made them not only look like super devoted to Team Rocket and Giovanni, but it, they almost kind of look psycho. The guy that like Looker was like grabbing hold of his collar and trying to get information from, and he wouldn't give him any information on Giovanni. I don't know. That was that was kind of a cool view of Team Rocket. Something you don't get from the anime, and it just makes Team Rocket seem that much cooler in this version compared to the Jesse and James version. As much as I love them, they were kind of bumbling idiots who would, you know, do Looney Tune type plots to get Pokemon. Yeah, that's true. And they were more of a comic relief at times too. And Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it kind of took away from the whole seriousness. And I guess that's because they had a they had to worry about their audience. Yeah, their audience was a lot younger. Uh, so it's just really cool to see a reimagined version that is much more True to the video games. Uh, so we cut away to Looker and a, an entire SWAT team, which is a pretty fucking cool scene. You've got, uh, you know, Machamp 
being used, uh, I think a couple different Machamps potentially, as kind of muscle if they need to apprehend anyone. You've got an Arcanine and Growlithe kind of as police dogs. That was kind of cool. And then Actually, you had, they uh, used the Arcanine to uh, melt a hole in the yeah, wall. Yeah, I will, awesome. yeah, we'll talk about that in a second because I, I want to I talk about the logistics of that yeah. in a minute. Uh, they also use a Magnemite as a locksmith. That was kind of cool. So what, what I took away from that, it was neat to see Pokemon being used in a way that wasn't just... I'm going to pull this Pokemon out of the Pokeball or whatever and have it fight. Like, that was kind of cool, like, the utility aspect of using Pokemon. And one of the uh, police had, like, a little holster that mm-hmm. he had one of the Pokeballs in. And that was cool. And tosses it out. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. that. The little bits of detail they do in these episodes is really neat. Uh, so they break into the gym. They destroy the walls. And you get that scene where the Arcanine actually uses its flame breath uh, flamethrower or whatever attack that one. I'm assuming it was flamethrower to melt the wall. Okay, logistically, why, why, why would you do that? Then you've got molten wall dripping down. It's not like they're gonna be like, well, let's climb through the wall now. Yeah, I was kind of worried about that. I don't know if it was just like a show of, hey, we're cool. Yeah, we're, we're, just we're here. Pokemon to melt this wall. Right, right. F you. <laughs> fuck and, your, fuck your gym. And what was the uh, whole point of having the ma- the, the Magnemite unlock the door? Because that's a good question. That's a really good question. I'm not sure, honestly, now. Yeah, they could just burn the whole thing down. Unless they were trying to prevent um, escape from a different route, That could which... be. Or they were trying to kind of sneak in at first. Because maybe they could, they could catch them oh, yeah. unawares, perhaps. Uh, so but Yes, I would not want to walk through any of that. And it was dripping down. And it's yeah, it was like, terrible. No, it, no. Was, it, was hor- <laughs> it was horrific, is what it was. It was absolutely horrific. It's kind of like walking through lava. Yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So they... Check the whole place out. You know, Machamp is breaking through walls. Arcanine's melting walls. And they find the battle area and realize that it's empty. And it looks like there was some remnants of an explosion? What the hell happened there? Like, I don't, It was like on the floor there were bur- scorch marks and stuff. Yeah, that was really yeah. weird. I don't know like what the whole explosion would have been. Well, I mean, as they, as they go further, you kind of find out what did happen there. But obviously it was a Pokemon battles that happened. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was something along those lines. I guess I guess I never really thought of that. So apparently Giovanni had given badges to two different trainers, uh, aka Red or Ash, if you depending upon the version you're watching, and Gary Oak or your rival, depending again upon your version. Uh, and I thought this whole bit about the having the two trainers getting the badge and then him taking off was actually kind of cool from a lore standpoint. Because I mean, these two are the most important figures within the games with regards to the lore. And, like, not everyone can just get all eight badges and go to the Pokemon Elite Four, you know, the Pokemon League or whatever. It's It gave it, a like, kind of a special feel. I don't know. I kind of felt that Giovanni, I don't know if he was... It seems like he's trying to use these two to to his advantage. Hmm. But also, it kind of defeats the purpose of... You know, you you fight and you win this battle on uh on the grounds that it was a legit fight. Mm-hmm. Um, your your Pokemon were way better. You're the better trainer, and you know you don't know if Giovanni kind of tipped the scales towards one or the other, That's or true. or kind of f- uh, fudged the the results just to give them badges. So, well, I mean, if you go back to the earlier scenes in this episode, though, they talked about how. Somehow the 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 game corner at Saladon City was foiled. Well, we know that's the trainer. We know that's Red. Mm, yeah. So obviously 
it plays into the whole idea that you as the player of the game are fo- are foiling Team Rocket left and right. And here, this last thing where you beat him for the gym badge is the last time you kind of screw him over. So like, I could see why he'd want to leave after that. This kid, right, who's training Pokemon is just screwed his organization over time and time again. So he's trying to like kind of get away from it, I think. So it's interesting from a lore standpoint, but man... If your only way to actually ever fight the Elite Four is to win all eight badges and one of the gyms is never open, that's got to suck for a whole lot of trainers. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I, that's just that's just terrible. It makes it rough. Uh, so then Giovanni walks off into the night with this really cool still image uh, that's like kind of, I don't even know what the art style is on that. It's like, you know, so there's like some streaks and it's like kind of more of a character. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't know my art very well, but it's a cool still shot where it changes from the anime view to almost something much more artistic. The biggest thing that I got from the the end with Giovanni is that he says that Pokemon exist for Team Rocket. Mm-hmm. That was the main message that I got from Giovanni. Right. So kind of coming back to why is he there causing hell with the game corner mm-hmm. and, and just um, taking over the gym there. He's trying to get a foothold, and he's not able to with these two trainers. So, yes, he leaves, and then we find out, well, he has something else in store, obviously. Right, and it's interesting because if you've watched ahead at all, Episode 5 deals with Giovanni again, even though we're past the the initial game. Spoilers. Spoilers. I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, But you think about Giovanni and his role within the Pokemon games. He's a mob boss. I mean, that's what he is. He wants everything for himself to better himself and his organization. And what's kind of cool is that, you know, if you've played the Pokemon video games, every video game has a different team. Team Rocket is around in this first one, but, you know, you have Team uh, Team Plasma, like in the one. We have Team, oh, I'm trying to think, can you remember any other team names off the top of your team head? Team Flare. Team Flare, yeah. right? That was X and Y, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, every one of those teams has a different goal in mind. It's not necessarily just to be a mob boss and and take everything and make a bunch of money. That's not the goal of every team. So it's interesting to kind of like really show this is what Team Rocket is all about. Uh, So episode two ends. That's it. Uh, Kind of a a short episode. I mean, they're all pretty short, but this was a little bit shorter, about a minute shorter in episode three. What were your thoughts about this episode overall? Um, Overall, I I definitely like... Uh, the dynamic between Detective Looker and the International Police searching for Team Rocket and Giovanni, mm-hmm. the boss. Like you said, it mesh, it melded together Pokemon Blue and Red mm-hmm. with uh, a little bit of X and Y to kind of yeah. tell that whole congruent story. Yep. I liked seeing the Pokemon used as SWAT mm-hmm. tools, and that kind of makes me think about how Team Rocket uses Pokemon, because they use them as tools, not as yes. friends or, right. you know, they're just items yeah. to be used. Yeah, and you look at the SWAT team, you, you know, they're they're serving a purpose and being used, but at the same time, they're part of a team. You know, they're, they're, there's a lot of teamwork there, and I think respect for the Pokemon, whereas Giovanni and Team Rocket do not have that respect. That's true. So that, that's kind of a cool comparison. Yeah, I think episode two was, was pretty neat. It was an interesting choice. There was a lot that, you know, kind of went on in Pokemon Red and Blue. I think it was probably the wisest choice aside from the Elite Four, which we'll see in this next episode, just because the Elite Four is such an epic thing that's been carried over from game to game. And same thing with Team Rocket. 
teams, the, these kind of rival teams that you have to kind of thwart is carried over from game to game. So it gives us a general view of like, this is what Pokemon is about. It's not just about catching Pokemon and battling. We got that in episode one, but there's this always this underlying meta plot involving these teams that you have to try to take care of or thwart or solve in all the games. So I thought it was kind of a cool introduction to Red and Blue. All right, any any last thoughts before we move on to episode three? Uh, nope, that's all I had. All right, moving on. Episode three, The Challenger. The animation right at the beginning, right at the opening, is so cool. Like, the environment of the... Elite Four, where they're all they have, they're all in their separate chambers with their big doors, and they're all kind of walking out of the doors, and just the animation and the character design of each of the Elite Four and the attention to detail and animation, super cool. Yeah, I have to agree with that. They really played into the the original anime style of it, and uh, really gave you a feel for what each of these um, Elite Four bosses look like. Yeah, total badasses is what they look like. Totally amazing. And they definitely did a lot of weird camera angles and mm-hmm. kind of spinning around. It was just kind of to add more flair and, mm-hmm. and prestige to it as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the the Elite Four, that phrase, actually came from a Japanese idea. Uh, this idea of the Four Heavenly Kings. Are you familiar with the Four Heavenly Kings? Um, I've heard of it, um, but I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, the Four Heavenly Kings had to do with this kind of Buddhist concept uh, where there were supposed to be four Buddhist gods that protected the four directions, north, south, east, and west. And uh, it's, it's something that's been used in a lot of anime. Uh, for example, Sailor Moon uses it with the Four Kings of Heaven, which oh, yeah. uh, which is, um, you know, Jadeite, Nephrite, Zoeite, and uh, Kunzite. And what's kind of cool about that is in the manga, they did a similar thing in Sailor Moon where they all were in charge of taking energy from different areas around the entire world. So you get a similar sort of thing. So that's where the idea of the Elite Four comes from. And what's kind of cool is that you have very different looking kind of characters uh, with regards to the Elite Four. Like they're all very different in design. Uh, so we, our four Elite Four members are Lorelai, who is a Pokemon trainer of ice and water Pokemon, Bruno, who has fighting and some rock-type Pokemon, Agatha, who has ghost and some poison-type Pokemon, and then Lance, who specializes in dragon Pokemon, which back in the day there weren't as many dragon-type, so he was kind of limited in what he could do. Um, but he did have like the coolest Pokemon back then, which was... Dragonair, or Dragonite, Dragonite, rather. We see all the, all four, they are kind of just hanging out, I guess, and just talking. And Agatha says, it's been a while since anyone has collected all eight badges. Apparently they know someone's coming to challenge them. I mean, if you're the Elite Four, and no one's been there to challenge you because, you know, Giovanni hasn't been defending his gym, like, what do you do all day? Like, I want to know, like, what's a typical day for the Elite Four, like, sitting in this mansion, if they're not Pokemon battling? Like, what are they doing? Well, I could see, you know, they are still Pokemon trainers, so Mm -hmm. maybe they're training their Pokemon, or maybe they just like to decorate their chambers and who sexy knows? parties, maybe or, or that maybe maybe I don't... sexy Pokemon parties, sexy Pokemon parties. <laughs> maybe they dress up their Pokemon. Yeah, you could see Pikachu in a little bikini top. Oh, that's <laughs> a one piece or two piece suit. I, I, you know, if there weren't a, like a Pokemon game where you could dress up Pikachu, which there is. Um, Good lord. Alright, so. Wait, wasn't that, uh. That was, that was Ruby and Sapphire, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, you, you could, uh, you had your cosplay Pikachu, which was 
fucking weird. Uh, so yeah, I've only got one cosplay Pikachu, and it's like the rocker one. Yeah, I never did anything yeah. with it either. I just kept the rocker clothes yeah. on it. Yeah. All four of them are kind of cocky assholes, if you really pay attention to it. They're, they're really cocky, but I guess if you are the Elite Four, I guess you have a right to be, right? I would say so. Okay. I mean, you get to throw sexy parties all the time, so... That's true. Well, Lorelai, who's the first one you, you face in the video game, she says, no, there's no need to worry, because she's going to freeze her opponent in his place before the others even get a chance to battle them. And speaking of opponent, mm-hmm. it is Gary Oak. Yes, or the rival, depending upon what you want to, what you want to say. And can I just, let's talk about this for a little bit. So, yes, storyline wise, Gary Oak, the rival, does beat the Elite Four. Because you have to beat the Elite Four and then eventually fight your rival at the very end of the game. Which is, you know, leading up, you know, you've been fighting him and following him since the very beginning as when you start. It makes perfect sense that's who you have to end fighting with. Were you disappointed like I was to be like, yeah, I'm ready for Red, our, our blue, our main character to have this epic fight with Team, with, uh, not Team Rocket, this epic fight with the Elite Four and then it's fucking Gary Oak. I'd have to say they kind of shot themselves in the foot though, if, mm-hmm. in that aspect, because if you go from our first episode where they don't even show the face of the yeah. trainer, you, and, you are the trainer, essentially, right, right. the viewer. Right. But it's kind of like, I think they had to do something like that to really play into the whole fact that, you know, that's where the rival started was the, were those original games. Okay. So they really played into that and and made sure to set, you know, they followed the, the same protocol. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't like Gary Oak. I just, I just think... I think Gary Oak is a douche. I think the rival in the first game is a prick. Um, and it, it's... Wow. I do. I don't like him. And I think that it's... So you're voting for Donald Trump, right? I, I didn't grab him by the pussy. Um, <laughs> I, like, what, well, I mean, there were two female uh, Elite Four. There were. Um, so <laughs> sexual assault is not Oh, funny. wait. No, they're not supposed to be Elite Four. Only men can be Elite Four. According to Donald Trump. According to Donald Trump. Oh, okay. So, so if Donald Trump, Trump, Trump. <laughs> so if Donald Trump was a Pokemon master, he would. Anyway, I don't even. There's, there's something to. If we have anyone listening to the show that likes to do artwork, I say this every once in a while. If you want to draw Donald Trump as a Pokemon trainer, we will definitely retweet that shit. That sounds amazing. You can, you know, totally give him like the worst Pokemon ever. Maybe he can get eaten by muck. I just, I, he should be, he should be like walking through muck. That'd be great. Or muck, like, just like, anyway. We'll send you, uh, pictures of our, uh, Pikachu in a two-piece. Yes, we'll. Uh, not suit. Yeah, so, uh, Ray, Ray's working on that. Ray, Ray's working on that. Yeah, he, really. he does art. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, Gary Oaks. So yeah, we talked, yeah, okay. So yeah, I guess you're kind of right. They did kind of shoot themselves in the foot in a way that if they're going to have actual battles, they've got to show the person and the fact that this is the rival and the cockiness of the rival that we see in most of the games. They're also trying to get the viewer motivated. And that was a good way that they did that was not putting a face on that and not saying, oh, hey, this is Ash running around mm. doing all this stuff because everyone knows that already. That's true. That's so true. So they're trying to, they're they're trying to give us... more other characters the limelight instead of that and getting us pumped up at the same time. Okay, I can see that. I can see, like, we've not seen these battles before, so it's giving us something new. That's kind of cool. Uh, so match one against Lorelai where we see a Lapras... From Lorelai against... I love Lapras. I know you do. You, you, 
I'm confused in this battle, by the way. Like, Lapras just kind of, like, flops around. Because there's no water. It's just like, how is Lapras moving around at all? Lapras doesn't need water. It's huge. It's a Loch Ness monster. Like, the Loch Ness monster can't just, like, wander around on land. I took my Lapras everywhere. Uh, I'm sure you... Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> you took your Lapras everywhere. In my party, my Lapras always goes with me. Ah, oh, fair enough. So, uh, you know, sometimes those water Pokemon, they'll have, like, a little pool beneath them. <laughs> like, just... the newer games. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a puddle. Oh, it's a puddle. It's like it's like an ever-moving puddle. Yeah. Makes no sense. Uh, so Lapras is taking on Alakazam. And I know it's Alakazam because it has two spoons. It eats two bowls of cereal at once. Oh, my God. I wish I had that power. You, you can. It's it's not that hard of a power. Uh, Alakazam's... I two mouths. You could... You could put two spoonfuls of cereal either in your mouth at the same time or alternate. Just kind of, kind of get a rhythm going. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my cereal eating sound. Effect. I kind of think, and I I think Lapras was going to do like the body slam. I think that's what it was. Was supposed to be in the body yeah, slam. Yeah, and, and then he just kind of really got defeated. I'm like, they really didn't. Oh, Alakazam is crazy powerful. We see we see the power of a psychic type. Uh, I'll concede the point. I teleporting guess. away and then using its psychic ability. And that, this is actually the co- one of the coolest parts of the battles. We see the camera kind of pan around as Lapras is literally turned around, and there's a lot of really cool swirl effects uh, of that psychic energy being used. It's, it's kind of the most interesting of the fights that we see because we don't get very much battling because this is like a five minute episode. I was just going to say that actually, yeah. There's not much battling in that, and I mean, yes, it's it's I I'd say it is a good fight but i wouldn't say it's that interesting yeah it's probably the most interesting of the four in all honesty uh speaking of which lorelei's poor lapras gets slammed with the uh psychic attack and she concedes and uh, says he won't be so lucky next time i would have liked to see them do like maybe more than just one pokemon each Mm -hmm. like kind of just show some a little differentiation there. Yeah. But I guess that, you know, that would... You got five You got five minutes and, and four battles you got to get through. So it was set up. And the ending that we got to talk about. So they didn't have a lot of time. Broom. It kind of plays into Oak's um, cockiness. Because it's kind of like, right. oh, I just defeated you with one Pokemon. Bye. <laughs> yeah, later. Uh, so then we went into Bruno. Bruno, I think, is actually... He uses... And I think I'm going to have to go back into the game to double check this. But I think that most of these... Elite Four actually use the dialogue from the the text from the game because Bruno says something about like show me what you've got or your power or whatever. And I think that that was like actually the line that was used in the video game. I thought that was kind of a cool little little nod to the fans there. Uh, I what I thought was interesting too is that Bruno was wearing like the strength bracers on his yeah, arm. Yeah, you noticed uh, that too, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah, that was cool. Uh, or, or macho brace or whichever whatever it was remember. yeah which is an item that pokemon can wear mm-hmm. which is pretty uh, it a makes sense cool for, thing. A, you know it raises your attack stat right and he's a fighting type so he would train with that on uh so here we get machamp versus pidgeot and uh this match lasts like a whole three seconds and is kind of a letdown compared You're to the cool pidgeot. i am um it's, it's really kind of Sad compared to the other battle. Literally, it just uses something like Aerial Ace or, or Quick Attack or something on it and then bashes it in, bashes the Pokemon into Bruno into the wall. I believe he was using, um, type weaknesses because isn't flying. Oh, strong against. Uh, fighting is weak against flying. That's right. That's right. Smart. Well, I mean, if anything, Gary Oak is an arrogant prick, but he's smart. 
Gary. Uh, Gary. We move on to match three, which is Agatha. And Agatha. Agatha no. Kind of. Mm, kind of. Uh, Agatha is kind of the, the coolest of the four in a lot of the ways that they kind of like display her. Her character design is really awesome. Like the fact that she is, is animated really well and she kind of reminds me of the old woman, uh, I think it's Yubaba from Spirited Away. Oh, yeah. She kind of has that sort of facial sort of, uh, kind of similarities. It's, she really gets a couple sick burns in on poor Gary Oak here. She says something along the lines of, you know, I expected you to be doing your grandpa's bidding and completing the Pokedex, which pisses Gary off. He's like, don't compare me to that old man. We get a battle between uh, his right horn and her Arbok, and that does not last long. But then she has a special trick up her sleeve. We don't see the outcome of this battle. We know what happens because obviously he moves on. But we get this really cool scene. She's got this staff or this like walking stick, and at the end it has a Pokeball, and she opens it up. And we get the shadow that creeps down the staff onto the floor, and it's a fucking Gengar. Yeah, and that, that was animation awesome. was boss. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. So yeah, it's a really cool visual. And uh, apparently he beats her because we move on to match four against Lance, the Dragon Master of the Elite Four. Uh, Gary says that he'll be champion, and Lance uses Dragonite. Just like the most badass Pokemon in the first games, because you had to be level 50 to get it to that, and that took so much work in the original games. Totally crazy. And Oak uses a Blastoise against uh, the Dragonite. Which, I want to note, means that Red did choose a Charmander as, a, as his starting Pokemon. Wait, he didn't, though. That's interesting, because don't we see a Bulbasaur at the beginning in the first episode? Oh, yes. That's weird, because that, that actually goes against the game, because in the game, the your rival picks what is strong against your type. Yeah, you're right. So they fucked up there. They should have had a Charmander, actually, in that opening battle. Yeah, but they were trying to keep with to the continuity. Yes. Yeah. Huh. We caught your error. Fuck you, Pokemon Generations. Troll. Troll, Troll. it right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, the Blastoise. The Blastoise design is really awesome-looking. Like that, I've always liked Blastoise. I thought it was a cool Pokemon. Um, and I don't know. I have a problem with that first move set that uh, Lance uses against the Blastoise. The he uses dragon a move, fi- uh, the f- a flame move against the water. I, oh, see, I, I wasn't sure if it was like a fire blast or if it was a uh, like a dragon move, specific dragon move, like a, like a hyper beam or something. Well, here's my problem with that scene. Do you notice that, like, they're shooting at these giant beams? We, we have hydro pump from the Blastoise. We have this fire or, or hyper beam or whatever from the Dragon One. There's a huge explosion. Lance and <laughs> Gary are standing two feet behind their Pokemon. <laughs> Neither of them are injured or dead. Like, Lance doesn't even have a little bit of perspiration on him. What the fuck? What the actual fuck? Well, I think... Oak can he he probably just hid behind Blastoise's shell, but Lance really has no. Yeah, he way should to be drenched himself. or dead. Yeah. One of the two. That that's my problem with with Pokemon battles sometimes, uh, especially one that was animated so cool like that in the huge explosion. Maybe his um, cloak had to be water repellent or something from all his sexy parties. Oh. <laughs> 
I, I, all right. Um, so the Pokemon fly around like fucking ninjas, even though they're both massive Pokemon. Actually, I loved when uh, Blastoise he hid his head only inside his shell. Yes, as that was fi- after their whole blast thing went off. That was a cool touch. That was a cool touch. I like that. They end up they they fly around and end up headbutting each other. We fade to white, and then Carrie looks bored as fuck on a throne, which you know. I guess they don't. Invi- they haven't invited him to the sexy parties. Maybe he's too young for that. Probably. Probably. Uh, well, and also, like you said, no one is at the Viridian Gym, so there's nobody getting yeah, any yeah, he, he, Pokemon badges. Well, people are getting some, just not badges <laughs> on the sexy parties. So, uh, sexy Pikachu. Sexy, oh my god, two-piece. Uh, draw that for us. Uh, so Gary is bored. He doesn't seem to get to celebrate long, though, his victory, because a familiar face comes in. And if you pause, you actually see some details of the face of Red. Uh, you see the eyes, but the face is still shaded. You see a little bit of the mouth. Um, so I wonder if they're going to keep going with that, or and, like, they'll just keep... Revealing a little bit every time? It, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Uh, but we end with Gary saying, So, you're finally here. Fantastic. And episode over. And, of course, he's now the champion of the Pokemon League. He is a champion of the Pokemon League, which leads us to the very end of Pokemon Red and Blue, which means that next time we're moving on to our next games in the Pokemon series, Pokemon Gold and Silver. Uh, so there we go. That was Episode 3. So what were your thoughts on Episode 3? Better? Worse than Episode 2? Uh, just general thoughts. What do you think? I think Pokemon Generation 3, the Challenger, was a lot better than uh, the first one. The first one was kind of all over the place. We had all these different Pokemon and all these different settings. Mm-hmm. It was a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, but then we go to episode two with the Looker versus or trying to find Giovanni of Team Rocket. Um, that kind of solidified more of a storyline fo- yeah. following a storyline. Episode three, we have the Kanto's Elite Four and Gary Oak. So I, I like this one a lot better. I think it's solidifying more of the actual story plot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, and I definitely, like you said at the beginning, the Elite Four animation series, that was pretty awesome. That was really cool. Um, we got to see these characters fleshed out as compared to derpy things on a Game Boy. Exactly. And that's that's the coolest thing is that, you know, the anime brought Pokemon to life in one way. But it was a very childish sort of way that didn't always follow the game. So I agree with you 100% that we get a really cool sort of retelling of these stories in some ways a little more mature and connected. That's the most important thing, that Pokemon is this living, breathing world. You know, you don't just get do everything in one region and then the people from that region never know anything about another region there it's all one big world and that is is pretty neat and i really liked episode i think i liked episode two better than i liked episode three just because i my seething hatred for gary oak but it was a necessary plot and it is kind of cool to then leave us with a cliffhanger of oh man that battle's badass that they have at the very end so very good episodes overall uh, so that does it for this episode of Tuning Japanese. Next time that we are, we come back with this particular series, this bonus series, we're going to talk about episode four, The Lake of Rage, and episode five, The Legacy. And uh, I just want to note a few things. Remember, number one, if you missed somehow our interview, our podcast with Jessica Calvello, our last one that we released, 
episode 27, our finale of season one. Go back and check that out. It was a blast to record. She's an absolutely hilarious person, and we just have a completely amazing time. She talks about Excel. She talks about being a voice actress. We just kind of shoot the shit about all kinds of things. Definitely go and check that out. Also, don't forget that if you have not checked out the first season, our reviews of Excel at all, and you're just kind of joining us now, go back and check that out. We normally have, it's normally myself, my friend Bill, and my friend Josh, but for this bonus season, it's myself and Ray talking about Pokemon. I just want to thank you, really, for taking the time and, and, and you know, coming into the studio and all this. You know, you had to travel so far to get here and be a part of this uh, Pokemon Generation review. And I really hope you're having a good time with these. I'm definitely having a good time, and I can't wait to see what else um, they have in store. They We have all kinds of episodes going to span all the way until, like, I think December when the last one comes out sometime before Christmas. Uh, until then, definitely go check out our, our uh, different stuff, our different podcasts. We'll be coming back sometime in December or late November with our newest series, our review of Trigun. Until then, once again, my name is James. And I'm Jesse. And we are blasting off at the speed of light. And we're surrendering now. We'll prepare to have a sexy party. <laughs> Woo! Bye! But bye. But bye. <laughs> bye. Thanks for listening to Tuning Japanese. To find out more about the show, visit tuningjapanese.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash tuningjapanese, on Twitter at tuningjapanese, and Tumblr at tuningjapanese.tumblr.com. You can also send us any questions, suggestions, or feedback by emailing the show at tuningjapanese at gmail.com. Be sure to also leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Tuning Japanese is a part of the Questionable Endeavor Media Network. Visit questnnetwork.com for more information on our other podcasts in this network, including the Shadow Bay Podcast, Rundown Wrestling Podcast, Raw Attitude Podcast, and the Geek and Gamer Guild.